This is the Word of God. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And there, again, the Word of God. May God bring His blessing. As I said, when we go through and as we look at Romans chapter 8, we are seeing uh, Paul revealing to us a great deal about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there is much that we do know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, We have confessed some things uh, from our catechism and things that have come out to us already in this letter. We know the Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration within us. When we talk about being born again, we understand that is not a work we do. When Jesus says, you must be born again to see and to enter the kingdom of heaven, He is not telling you about something you must do, for He goes on in John 3 to tell us that it is the work of the Spirit. We must be born of the Spirit and of the water. He must come and He must convince us of our sinfulness and misery, of our godlessness. He must come and He must enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. He, he must come and renew our wills. He must make us born again. He, he is the one who regenerates these dead hearts. And He has been sent by God the Father and, and, and by the Lord Jesus Christ with that purpose of bringing forth that work of God's grace in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is also the one who persuades us to believe in Christ. We are not robots coming because we have just been automatically transformed to to believe in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and and persuades us, sets before us the truth of the living God. And and with that renewed will, we come freely of our will to believe that Christ is Lord and Savior and to repent of our sins. So He is that agent of regeneration and that one who works the truth of God in our lives. We know that. We also know that the Holy Spirit is that person of the Godhead who is promised both of God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ to come and dwell in us and to to work in us the glory of God's grace, to continue to work in us that good work that God has begun, to lead us into all truth. And we know, as we have seen thus far in in Romans 8, that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and who leads us in that warfare against the indwelling corruptions of sin that yet remain within us. That that old sinful nature, the flesh that that still uh, is within us and, and so often and every day just 
excuse me, raises its ugliness within our lives to strive to bring forth that, that creature of sin within us again. And the Holy Spirit is within us waging that good warfare against that nature, uh, working to sanctify us. And as we've already seen from last week, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the glory of our union with Christ. That to, to say that we are in Christ is, is to know that the Spirit of Christ is in us. And to have the Spirit of Christ in us is to be united to the Lord Jesus and to, to have that, that uh, warmth of communion and fellowship in Him. It's in that way and and thinking of all of those things that I have just said, when you come to verse 14, it helps you to understand what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. He is that person of the Godhead within us, accomplishing all of these glories and graces within us. We are led by the Spirit of God. And and now this, this evening we come... To, to see the, that the Spirit in leading us into this Christ-likeness and holiness, He shows us uh, who we are. And perhaps one of the most enduring things that the Holy Spirit does within us, and, and it comes out in these verses, verses 14 to 17, is He reveals to us, He bears witness to our souls, that we are the children of God. He makes that that knowledge of who we are in Christ Jesus real in our souls. If you look at verses 14 to 17, every one of those verses emphasizes that truth. If you are led by the Spirit of God into a life of holiness and Christ-likeness, verse 14... You're a son of God. You're a child of the living God. Because the Spirit is leading you. You know there's this witness to you. Verse 15, you have the Spirit of adoption. (laughs) The Spirit at work in you through whom you cry out to the Father in heaven. Verse 16, the Spirit bearing witness. Speaking to your own Spirit. You're a child of the living God. And then again, verse 17, and if you're children, then you're heirs. The Spirit is speaking that you have an inheritance waiting for you because you are a child of the living God. I believe this to be perhaps the highest witness that the Spirit has within us. Even though we're just getting to it now in in these verses. That the Holy Spirit wants us to understand who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are not only saints, we are not only redeemed sinners, we are not only uh, a people who have become the special treasure of God. We have indeed become the children of the living God. And the spirit of adoption is the one who... And, and that is the title that he's given here. The spirit of, the, of adoption is the, uh, is the one who makes this truth known. Do you, dear people of God, do you, dear believers in Christ, 
Do you comprehend this glory? How often do you say to your hearts, as the hymn writer says, I'm a child of the living God, child of the heavenly Father. That's who I am. Not only am I a holy person, a saint, not only am I chosen and beloved of God, but I am a child of the Heavenly Father. And the Spirit is bearing witness to to this truth. John Calvin said in, in his Institutes, he said this of the Holy Spirit, that He is the witness to us of the free grace of God with which God the Father has embraced us in His beloved only begotten Son to become a Father to us. Isn't that amazing? That God has looked upon you sinful and wretched as you were. And we might even say with Paul, chief of sinners, I am still. (laughs) And he He has desired of His free grace. He has embraced you in His beloved only begotten Son to become a Father to you. Isn't that marvelous? Doesn't that, above all things, doesn't that one truth set a peace upon your heart in all the circumstances of your life? To know that I am a child of the Heavenly Father. And the Spirit is bearing witness to this. And and I ask you again, not only do you comprehend this glory, but I ask you in light of these verses, do you experience the witness of the Spirit of that very truth in your soul? Is it something that you can see and sense and know that the Spirit is always bringing you to every day? You're a child of the Heavenly Father. You know, we heard this morning how we grieve the Spirit when our anger and when our anger explodes from us in words of bitterness and malice and slander and things of that. We, we read that in Ephesians 4, that grieving the Spirit is especially attached to the way our anger can explode from us. And, and it can be in those times when sin rises up that, that we sense less and less of that truth of who we are as children of the living God, as children of the Heavenly Father. And how much more important in those times it is to experience the witness in our soul of the Spirit, who you are. And, 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 and that witness of the Spirit, I believe, is purposed to cause us to both rejoice and be overly humbled at the grace of God that has done that. It's one of my favorite verses. You hear me say it often. But John, uh, John chapter 1, 12 and 13, that, that there we, we are told 
that as many as received Christ, to them the Father gave authority. (laughs) As many as have received Jesus Christ, to them the Father gave authority to become children of God. What do you think is that authority? Well, I I think we can safely say in, in light of our text before us that that authority is the presence of the Holy Spirit who witnesses to our souls. We are children of the Heavenly Father. And and he, he goes on there in verse 13 that this authority to become children of God, that's who we are. To those who believe in His name, who were born, and listen to this, who were born not of blood. That means you didn't inherit your relationship with God from your parents. Although that covenant with God is real. It's not by blood that you become a child of the Heavenly Father. It's not because you've been born in uh, the Western world that you are automatically a child of the Heavenly Father. It doesn't work that way. Nor of the will of the flesh. We haven't decided we're going to become children of God. (laughs) Quite the opposite. (laughs) Our flesh and our sinful nature removes us from that desire to be a child of God. Nor of the will of man, but of God. And to understand as John writes there in John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, as he he writes there, this is God's will that you become His child. The Holy Spirit is the one bearing witness, giving witness to our soul of that great and glorious truth. And and here Paul tells us, he he brings a, a conscious, sensible witness of who we are in the Lord Jesus for for three reasons. And the and the first one and, and each of the reasons comes out in verses 15, 16, and 17. And and the first purpose why this witness needs to be there is to take away the bondage of fear. You see what he says there? You have not, from God, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. That the Holy Spirit comes to deal with fears that rise up within us and and establishes Himself within our very being as one who will confirm to our spirit, no, you are a child of the Heavenly Father. What Paul is getting at in this verse is that in confronting that old fallen nature that is within us and that rises up within us, it's like a child. Let me put it this way to illustrate. It's like a child who knows that he has done wrong against his father, who has broken one of the rules that his father has set before him. And and he knows it's so serious that he's, you know, you'll hear a child say, it, I'm in trouble now. 
And, and even though that, that relationship of father and son exists, that child has a fear. What is my father going to do to me? <laughs> I know I'm going to be disciplined. Is it going to be more than I can bear? Or even more? Is this serious enough that He may just stop loving me? <laughs> he, he, there, there is a bondage of fear that often rises within the, the Christian's heart when sin, and, and particularly when besetting sin, when, when a sin that you struggle with and, and it rises again and again and again and you just wonder, how many times can I come before God and say, Father, forgive me. Before He says enough. Here, and and we know that that's part of the context here because he's been dealing about that sin that yet remains within us. Here he says, no, you've been given the spirit of adoption. That, that, that takes and, and binds that bondage of fear that rises up within you. So that you know that you can come to the Father and say, Father, forgive me. (laughs) It's the spirit of adoption bearing witness to you. Don't you be concerned that the Father has stopped loving you. He knows, as, as Psalm 103 says, what does it say there? He knows that we are but dust. He knows our frame. And praise be to God for that work of Christ on the cross that it is all sufficient to hold us fast in the Father's love. And particularly when we sin. The Father, by the Spirit of adoption, the Father wants you to know that He loves you. Isn't that amazing? I think that's why, again, with John, and again, one of, one of my favorite and well-rehearsed verses, 1 John chapter 3, when he says there, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love and, and, and he goes on there to say, in verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. <laughs> Do you get this? Do you comprehend the, the, the incredible nature of that love of God that has made you His child? It is an electing, calling, justifying, sanctifying, glorifying love pertaining to your salvation. That from before the foundations of the world you were chosen 
in love, Ephesians 1. And in time, it was love that prepared a salvation for you and applied it to you. (laughs) That's all in love. God so loved. God demonstrated His love, as Paul said back in chapter 5. Do you comprehend this love? Do you comprehend its nature? That it is unconditional, unwarranted, unmerited love. What in the world did you deserve to be loved by such a father? What have you done to earn it? And our answer is nothing. And it's there. And it is a love that is godlike. And, and what I mean by that is the very attributes of God. It, it, it is God Himself. When we say God is love, as, as John would say twice in 1 John 4, God is love. God is love. Do you understand what we're saying? Is we're saying that His love, that attribute of God, is defined by who God Himself is. That it is an unchangeable, eternal, infinite love. <laughs> because God is love. <laughs> Doesn't it cause your heart to marvel? And then to to see this love of God bestowed upon us, love sealed to us by the blood of His Son. That everything that Christ did on that cross in order to deal with our sinfulness before a holy God was done in love, to seal that love to us. It's amazing. And again, why why do we need to behold this love? And why do we need to, to have this spirit of adoption born as a witness to our hearts? It's because we are prone to the bondage of fear. And particularly when sin rises. Because as we are being led by the Spirit of God in the ways of holiness and Christ-likeness, we understand that path and pursuit of holiness is difficult. We know we stumble. We know we stray. We know we wander. We know we fall into sin. We know we have. And anyone who has been a Christian for any length of time will look back and they will see the times that they have been prodigal in their ways. That we have turned aside and said, let me taste what the world has to offer. And and our time uh, with the Lord has become diminished and, and we lose a sense. Not just of communion with God, but of that bonded relationship with the Heavenly Father as His child. How many of us have lost that at one time or another? The sense that we are truly 
a child of the Heavenly Father. And what fear that that brings when we wonder, have I lost salvation? And even as we are striving to find our way back to the Father, even as the Spirit within us is leading us back into that way of truth and life, through that path of confession of sin and repentance and, and, and seeking forgiveness and cleansing, we often come in that, that bondage of fear. We often come with what I call the prodigal son syndrome. When you look at Luke 15 in that parable of the prodigal son, the son is, is in that state that I've just mentioned to you, knowing that he needs to return to the father, but struggling. How in the world can I return to the father? Look at me now. I am in a pigsty. I am in the depths of my sin. And how in the world can I come back to him? Well, I'll come back to him like this. I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. I'm not saying that spirit of humility and unworthiness is wrong. I think in many ways the Father could look at him and say, uh, and God, our Heavenly Father, could look at us and say, you know, you're right. You're not worthy to be called my son. But don't you understand? You were never worthy to be called my son. (laughs) But what is it about that prodigal son parable that amazes us the most? Is that the father was looking for and waiting for his son to return. And he sees him in the distance. And the father goes out and runs and embraces and puts his weeping head upon his son's shoulder and embraces him. And the son is there saying in the spirit of bondage of fear, look, I'm not worthy. And the father would have none of it. Isn't that amazing? That really is, that really is a picture of the father's delight when we come to him and we say, Father... I've sinned. And he's like, great, I've got mercy for you. And it's the Spirit, it's the Spirit that's reminding us, you know what, yeah, you're right, we're not worthy to be called His Son. But you are. And what has has sealed you to that Father's love is a sacrifice and an atonement that that will never fail. And that's why the Lord is able to say as He does in John 8, He's saying that, that my sheep who hear my voice, they know me and I know them and nothing will ever pluck them out of my hand. And the Father and I who are one, He has you in, your, in His hands and nothing can take you out of His hand. That's why we come to the end of this chapter and what are we told about the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? That there is nothing that can separate us from that. And the spirit of adoption 
is bearing witness to your soul the truth of that. So that that bondage of fear does not take over. So that you will know that being in Christ and trusting in the grace of God and knowing that you are a child of the Heavenly Father, that you can come to Him. And His love for you is never broken. Tremendous, isn't it? And not only that, He stirs in us. This is the second thing that you see there in verse 15 and and verse 16. Is that He stirs in us to cry out, Abba, Father, as the spirit of adoption. He bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God and we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And I want you to understand something about that last part of verse 15 and, and, and verse 16. Is that, notice I didn't say that the Spirit stirs in us to pray to the Heavenly Father. No, He stirs in us to cry out, Abba, Father. And again, when do we need that witness of the Spirit the most? Is it when our life is rolling merrily along and we can take up the Lord's Prayer and say, Heavenly Father, may Your name be hallowed. Let Your will be done. Or is it, do we need that stirring of the Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, when we find ourselves in that place of affliction, when we find ourselves under temptation, when we find ourselves suffering and persecuted, when we find ourselves falling in, fallen in sin and, and all alone? Isn't that the time when we need to cry out, Abba, Father? And that's the strength of those words. That's what he's saying, is that the Spirit comes in those times and bears witness. You're a child of the Heavenly Father. Cry out to Him. And the illustration that that we have of that, every parent has been through this with a child, and especially the young children. Who, when they're out playing or they're out and about and, and they get seriously injured, we hear that terrifying, blood-curdling cry. <laughs> and we know something is wrong. We're not stirred to move until we hear that cry, are we? And we come and, and we see our child lying down just in pain and crying out. That's the force of those words. We are crying out. That verb, cry out, kradzo is, is the Greek word. It's not, it's not a word that's used to pray to God like, as I said, when we're using the Lord's Prayer and saying, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a painful cry for help. 
It's, it's the same word that's used uh, to speak about blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. You remember blind Bartimaeus sitting outside of the, the gates of the city and he hears that the Lord Jesus is coming and he's heard this, excuse me, the stories of how Christ has healed people. And he's sitting there and at the top of his lungs he's saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you read it in in Mark 10 that the people are saying, quiet, stop yelling, don't cry out like that. Leave him alone, he hasn't got time for you. And all the more he cries out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord come to him, came to him. The Lord heard his cry. And did he wait for blind Bartimaeus to come to him? No, the Lord went to him. <laughs> and that's that's the emphasis of these words. When we find ourselves fallen and aching and hurting. In sin, in persecution, in affliction. All we can sit there and do is say, Father, Father, have mercy on me. Father will come running. (laughs) Metaphorically. And it's the Spirit of adoption who bears this witness in our hearts by whom we cry out. He's saying you're a child of God. Seek Him. And that's the Holy Spirit's witness in our soul. And my friends, that distinguishes I say this emphatically to all of you who are listening. This point alone distinguishes the real and true Christian from the godless and false one. Because when our afflictions arise, when our sufferings increase, when persecution is born on us, when we are fallen in sin, when we are hurting and alone, when we need the Father, if we have the Spirit of adoption within us, He will say, cry out, Abba, Father, have mercy on me. But the one without the Spirit is the one who will say, well, where's God now? God is so good, why isn't He helping me? And you know, you can see and you can hear the difference, can't you? The difference being is that the Spirit is bearing witness in the soul of one. That they are the child of the Heavenly Father. And if that witness isn't being born in them, then they're not. They're not there. Or at least they're not there yet. It's such an instinctive response if the Spirit is bearing witness to your soul. And none, 
none but the true child of God knows this witness. Well, the last one that we see there in verse 17 is that the Spirit, and again, these all run together, but this is building on verse 16, the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. The Spirit bears witness within us to confirm our inheritance. That you know that if you are a child of the Heavenly Father, that you have an inheritance waiting for you from your Father. An inheritance that has been claimed for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. An inheritance that He is going to share with everyone who is united to Him by faith. An inheritance that Jesus Himself came in the flesh to lay hold of for us in His own sufferings and death. And an inheritance that He has sealed in His glorious resurrection and ascension. An inheritance that He has sent forth His Holy Spirit to be upon us, to seal unto us. The Holy Spirit, as Paul would write in Ephesians 1, is the guarantee of what Christ has purchased for us. And the Holy Spirit is ever reminding us of this eternal life that is ours in Jesus Christ. But if you note it there, that little caveat, it's not just there waiting for you. It's one that is attached to your sufferings. If indeed we suffer with Him. And here again, the Spirit is reminding us, how did Christ attain this inheritance for us? By coming and suffering in the flesh. Jesus Himself said that to His apostles when when they were locked away in that room on Resurrection Day and questioning all that had happened, but wondering and trying to connect together that how is it that Christ had to suffer? And Jesus came and He said to the two men on the road and to His apostles, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? That this is what makes the Lord Jesus that glorious Savior of His people in that He went and before glory met Him, He went and He accomplished that salvation that was necessary. But that was accomplished through suffering. It was accomplished through Him bearing on the cross all that was necessary to bring about the forgiveness and cleansing and, and, and freedom from our sins. It was necessary for Him to suffer that our condemnation should be removed. It was necessary for Him to suffer in order to be the victor over death. You're not much of a victor over death if you haven't experienced death. And He has. 
And He has risen in triumphant glory. And He's saying here, and the Spirit is bearing witness to us. And how much we need that witness in our sufferings. I mean, again, the Christian life is not a life marked with prosperity and no problems, no issues. It's not that kind of Christian life that the word of faith and the health and wealth gospel prosperity movement wants to claim it to be. It's not that burden of faith, well, if you don't have this glorious earthly life, then it's because you don't have... What a burden of faith they would put upon us. No, it is an inheritance waiting for you if you suffer with Him. And understanding, as Paul said, that, that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of heaven. That it becomes clear that our life in this world is not marked without suffering, but is marked with suffering. And particular, our life as believers is a life marked in the putting to death the deeds of the flesh, in plucking out the eye and cutting off the foot and hand, and, and in enduring evil from those who, who count us strange people because we're not joining in with the debauchery and depravity and sin of this world. It's suffering persecution for Christ's name. We are suffering with Christ in the flesh. And the Spirit comes and says, this doesn't mean God doesn't love you. This doesn't mean that you're not a believer. This doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. This means more than ever, if you are suffering in these ways, more than ever, this means you're a child of the Heavenly Father. (laughs) And you have a glorious inheritance waiting for you at the end of all of this. And again, don't we need the Spirit to witness that to us? Because we do get to those places in times of our suffering where we begin to wonder, does God really love me? Is this worth it? Can I endure? Am I really a Christian? The Spirit comes in the midst of those sufferings to witness to your soul. Yes, you are a child of God. And not only are you a child of God, because you're suffering with Christ in these things, you're a co heir with Him. That's the marvelous thing of these words is that it says you're not just a child of God. You're a co-heir with Christ. That whatever Christ has attained in heaven in the flesh, He has attained to give to us a glorious, incorruptible, immortal body a body and a soul free from the presence of sin. A completely glorified body and soul that is able to serve the living God in all truth and holiness. 
living with God, dwelling in the presence of the one whose light is so great no man can see him. And the Spirit is witnessing this to you. And our response, and I close with this, our response is this. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Truly, you are good to your people. My flesh will rest in hope, for you have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the witness of the Spirit. Do you have it? I mean, consider what I've said this evening and ask yourself, is this the witness that the Spirit has brought to my soul? And if you can say yes, you're a child of the Heavenly Father. But if you don't know, if you're unsure, if you're sitting there saying, I don't experience that, then turn to God. Turn to Christ. Believe on Him. For as many as who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you not only will be saved, but you will be given that authority, the spirit of adoption. You will be given that authority to be called a child of God. Call upon Him and know this witness.